Hello and welcome to Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime, the Easter edition. <laughs> We're your hosts, Jill, Don, Dave, and Craig. Still special. Gracia and Steve are probably off doing some Easter-related church stuff. So we're on our own for the drink of the week. But this week, the drink comes from, or not week, I guess month, comes from mom, our mother. She made us, are these gin or vodka martinis? She made us vodka martinis, dry, dirty, dirty martinis (laughs) made with vodka, and um, blue cheese stuffed olives. So, Craig, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I'll drink it. <laughs> yep, they're pretty good. So, and Dave is just having a root beer. So, but Bart's have bites, so that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, and with that, Dad, what's our case of the week? Well, for Easter, we'll be talking about burying children alive. Mm. Ah. I like that about <laughs> you. This is about the Cochilla school bus kidnapping. Happened in 1975, 76. Just to be clear, though, you didn't want to do the episode about the nuns this week because it would be a downer on. I was a Catholic. I was raised a Catholic. I just couldn't bring it myself to do it. Yeah, the original. What we planned was the. uh, But burying kids alive, you have no. Yeah, no, no, no issue there. I raised kids. Believe me, no issue. Wow. There won't be any confession. I don't even know why they sent these guys to jail. Really. All right. After a day of swimming and fun in sunny California, a school busload of kids and their driver was on their merry way home. It was around 4 p.m. on Thursday. It's July the 15th, 1976. School bus driver Frank Edward Ed Ray was driving 26 students of Dairyland Elementary School home from a summer class trip to the Chowchilla, California is that right? uh, Fairground Swimming Pool. Chowchilla is one of the scores of similar communities in the heart of the great Central Valley of California, one of the richest agricultural belts in the world. Mm-hmm. It is 256 miles northwest of Los Angeles and 150 miles southeast of San Francisco, where I grew up. It makes its living from cotton, corn, dairy products, other agricultural products, and kidnapping. <laughs> the town makes its living from kidnapping? <laughs> well, it's on the town it was, website. It was attempted. <laughs> Let's, you know. So as Ed drove, he encountered a van blocking the road ahead of his bus. Tried to drive around it, but three white men wearing nylon stocking masks leaped out, one of them waving two guns, and ordered Ray to stop. Two of them boarded the bus and drove it into Miranda Slough, S-L-O-U-G-H. Was that sloth or slough? Slough, I would think. A dry ditch off the road and steered it into a thicket of bamboo. The gunman then herded the driver and 26 children, aged 5 to 14, into two vans. It's sad, huh? When that was done, the three men drove off with their terrified captives. Thus began a bizarre and, at week's end, still unexplained kidnapping that riveted the nation's attention for 36 hours. So this was like, though, when they did this, how publicized were kidnappings? Because this is like just before I was born, right? So this made nation 
Nationwide headlines, and it must have been very quickly such a unique. Got the FBI involved, as, as you'll hear as I go along. But yeah, very very quickly, um, and so the bus driver Ed was extremely prompt when he brought kids home, so they knew right away if something was wrong. You're not holding the mic to your. Oh, I should be holding. Can you? Am I? This would be fun. A fist to edit. away, a fist away from your <laughs> mouth. That's what she said. <laughs> You know, your mouth could be close enough that you could lick it if you stuck out your tongue. That's what she said. Jill <laughs> <laughs> okay. is the see, biggest what, Michael Scott the fan in the world. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> okay, seriously. Urinary meters, and then above that, we There's no way you know. Oh, we don't have to go into that. All right. Anyway, you, you made me lose my place. Okay, so the you're in that chair, right? (laughs) And after you sat in the chair, so when Ed Ray, the driver, missed his drop-offs, something he never did, panicked parents started calling the school and the local police departments. In the next hours, local and state police scoured the area. FBI agents, alerted to a possible kidnapping, began pouring in, interviewing the parents of the 19 girls and seven boys who had vanished. Two California Highway Patrol helicopters joined the biggest search in the state's history up until that point of time. How many kids again was it? 26, did you say? 26. <gasps> 26 children and the, and the driver. That's crazy. It was crazy. It, it just, the whole nation was uh, riveted. Okay, so a parent's worst nightmare was now underway. Now we'll go on and talk about the ordeal and then the escape. Okay. The children were actually driven around for a few hours in two separate vans, the kidnappers, and took the children to do a makeshift jail cell fashioned out of a truck trailer. It had wood paneling, black painted windows, and the underground truck trailer had boxes of cereal and loaves of bread, mattresses, and a little bit of water, makeshift ventilation pipes. Not much. There were no toilet facilities, and very soon the air was stagnant, stank of urine and human waste. The children were, of course, quite distraught, and many were crying, crying for their mothers or fathers or both. After about 12 hours, the roof of the trailer started to sag in. Can you imagine now they're buried in this thing? All right, on all sides, and there's an opening in the roof, but it's it's impeded by a plate and a couple of. Uh, so this is like an RV trailer. Is that what? Uh, I, am I envisioning the right thing? It, it's you more like a, a large truck trailer. Oh my gosh! Yeah. So like we'll, we'll have pictures kind of too. I have pictures will, yeah. of it. Oh yeah, yeah. I'll provide pictures. And <clears throat> so did these guys like dig this hole? Like this is like a little blowing my mind. Did they dig a big hole for a truck trailer? Yeah. That's insane. How long was that? Yeah, these weren't the brightest bulbs, as as you'll see as we go along. It's not not very bright guys. Um, okay, so after about twelve hours, they noticed that the roof right is beginning to sag, as I said. And Ray and the older children stacked the mattresses so that some of them could reach the opening at the top of the truck which had been covered with a heavy sheet of metal and weighed down with 200-pound industrial batteries. 
Ed Ray, the bus driver, and Michael Marshall, a 14-year-old boy who talked himself into a bus ride. He wasn't even supposed to be on this bus um, that day. Started to take turns and try to remove this heavy metal and batteries and blocking the opening, whatever was above. At one point, it was reported that Ray just about given up. They just couldn't get the job done. But Michael, the 14-year-old, refused to give up and continued to work on the cover and batteries. After many hours, they were actually able to move the plate and batteries, and Michael Douglas worked his way up through the dirt until he reached the industrial yard outside. Imagine that. So after 30 hours, 16 being underground, it took 16 hours to get out of that friggin' thing, the children and the bus driver walked up to a night watchman. At this point, being buried alive was over for the victims. So they knew they were being buried alive, though? Like, I mean, I kind of envision, like, you're in a trailer. There's no windows. So how, like, to me, it's impressive that they knew they were being buried alive. And, I mean, it's not that impressive to say, like, oh, here's where it's sagging. We can get out through this. No, it didn't sag at first. Yeah. That's what panicked them. So at first, the structure was intact. Right, and they knew they were in some kind of trailer structure, mm-hmm. and they were blocked off in the front. But they could see that up top. Yeah, right? yeah. There was this mean. opening that was just covered, right, and covered enough so that you know you just couldn't move it aside. Right. Hmm. Does that help? Yeah, I think it does. It how did they get? How, how? What was the air source? Yeah. What was the what? Air. How was air getting? Yeah, they had some air vents in it, a couple of them. But as time went on, it was getting harder and harder to breathe, Mm -hmm. according to the testimony of the children. Yeah. So they were definitely under pressure. Yeah. And the guys who built this thing. What were they trying to do? Hold the children for ransom? Yes. Ah. That was part of the, yeah, part of the motive. Does this... They're getting out of the trailer kind of remind you of what the time's dad would take us out in a rubber raft and be like, yeah, <laughs> you have to go first. Thanks for your sacrifice. <laughs> like, imagine how scared whoever, we said it was Michael Douglas that they made go first. Like, how scared must that kid have been? Actually, he was one of the real heroes of the story. So Michael Douglas, 14-year-old Michael Douglas, did not panic, and he didn't give up. So when, when the driver, Ed, just got exhausted, I mean, this was an older man, uh, old Michael just took the lead and kept right on going. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. It is. It is incredible. But yeah. I can't imagine how scared that poor kid, how scary that must be. Like, you don't oh, for all the other children. Kid. I mean, a lot of those kids were four and five years old. I mean, they were, yeah. Yeah, they were terrified. I mean, yeah. it was like... Imagine a minute gunpoint forcing you off your school bus, forcing you into vans, driving you around for hours so you'd be thoroughly confused yeah. and frightened, and then sticking you in this thing uh, underground. Yeah, I'm I pretty just... sure as one of the kids, I would have been going, why couldn't this have happened before school? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Peggy. <laughs> okay. So they had gone up to the night watchman, and... Uh, everybody in the areas had been alerted. They were looking for the school bus and for the kids, so the night watchman knew right away what was going on. They were taken to a nearby Santa Rita uh, rehabilitation center where they were pronounced in good condition. The children and their bus driver returned safely to Cauchilla, 
by a police escorted bus shortly before dawn, July 17, 1976. The children were taken to the town firehouse, which had been turned into an impromptu news center. The parent, I'm sorry? Nothing. No, he was oh. just clearing his the, the parents will be reunited with their children tonight, um, said the mayor. And after that, the Cutchula residents gathered at the firehouse, and they all burst into applause. Of course, they would. Uh, finally, the children were reunited with their parents after 16 hours underground and 30 hours being missing. Oh, my God. So the quarry's owner's son, 24-year-old Frederick Newhall Woods IV, quickly came under suspicion as one of the people who had the keys to the quarry, enough access to have buried the moving truck there. He and two of his friends, Brother James and Richard Schoenfeld, they were aged 24 and 22 respectively, had previously been convicted of motor vehicle theft for which they had been sentenced to probation. A warrant was executed on the estate of Wood's father, and there the police recovered one of the guns used in the kidnapping, as well as a draft of a ransom note. But the three men had fled. Woods was caught two weeks after the kidnapping in Vancouver, British Columbia. Figures he's running to Canada. James Schoenfeld had been Figures. captured earlier the same day in Menlo Park, and his brother Richard Schoenfeld had voluntarily turned himself into authorities eight days after the kidnapping. Not to go too far off the side, but doesn't Canada collect a lot of our criminals? They do, and they, they uh, actually don't always want to deport them. There's um, one of the most, uh, up until the O.J. Simpson trial, the most expensive case in U.S. history was the Charles Ng trial. And, but the reason it was so expensive is that Charles Ng, who was a serial killer out in California, he actually. Was a despicable and, human. Yeah. So he's in Canada, and Canada doesn't want to extradite him because... Incorrect. The <laughs> Liberal Party and all of those flaky left-wingers didn't want to get rid of him. Everybody where I come from wanted that ass out of so there. So Craig and his six friends. So, no, no, no. Alberta, carry from the right wing of yeah. Alberta. Here. In Alberta, there was nobody wanted that guy there. Yeah, they wanted him shipped out, and we didn't care about the death penalty. I, I was for it. Yeah. So yeah. the um, yeah. So the Canada though, they didn't want to give him because they uh, he the had freaks in Canada. He had he would have gotten the death penalty. So eventually, what California said is okay. Well. You can have them then. You keep him. Yeah. <laughs> and then they decided, oh, you know what, on second thought, <laughs> you guys can have them. <laughs> but yeah, you know, if you want to escape the death penalty, run up to Canada. That's not a bad place to fight it. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. But just, I don't want you. Just had to ask. Now, Fred was the leader. This is the guy that would caught in Canada of this little group. And he got the idea from a Dirty Harry movie. If you, if you saw that first Dirty Harry movie where the guy took the school bus. And the, anyway. the kidnappers had been unable to call into their intended ransom demand of $5 million, which would be about $22, $23 million in 2020, because all the telephone lines to the Chowchilla Police Department were tied up by media calls. <laughs> And families searching for their children. That. So they couldn't even get their ransom. They couldn't get through. 
<laughs> By the way, do we have the ransom note? Because I'd love to read it. I'm imagining spelling errors, grammatical errors. Oh, that's a good question. You know, I didn't I'm see I'm sure that. it's somewhere. You yeah, probably the FBI's got it. it. That's yeah. for damn sure. Yeah, it's probably, it probably was a trial artifact. So these three morons went to sleep at some point on July 16th and woke late that night to television news reports informing them that the victims had freed themselves and were safe. <laughs> so then, Larry, Curly, and Moe <laughs> Oh my goodness. James Schoenfeld later stated that despite coming from wealthy families, both he and Woods were deeply in debt. We needed multiple victims to get multiple millions. And we picked children because children are precious. The state would be willing to pay ransom for them, and they don't fight back. They're vulnerable, and they will mind. Obviously, these guys never raised children. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like they were ever likely to reproduce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, on July 15th, I'm sorry, on July 25th, 1977, Woods and the Schoenfelds pleaded guilty on 27 counts of kidnapping for ransom without inflicting bodily injury, and that's an uh, important point, reversing their initial pleas. In exchange, the prosecution dropped the 18 counts of armed robbery against them. For the five charges of kidnapping with bodily harm, a, a crime that carried a mandatory sentence of life without parole in California, the three pleaded not guilty. As a result, the case would go to trial, and after the three waived the option to for a jury, the decision as to whether they would ever be able to get parole was left to Superior Court Judge Leo Deegan. Wait a minute. I'm confused. So how did the cops know who did it? Like, I missed that part. They were, they, so it sounded like, it sounded like the father of one of these kids owned the property where That's they decided right. to b bury. Uh, yeah, so, that, oh, that, so that, he that, was that's just really like, a smart, like, they'll never suspect the thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh it's God. on our own property. Yeah, I heard you say that they worked. At <laughs> and when the pool, we asked for the buried, ransom, but... we told them to mail it to our address. <laughs> <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> and make sure you put our spell our names right on the chat. Yeah, it's showing found. Anyway. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the defense team—they were just trying to buy time and try to prove the kidnapping victims had, support, had survived unarmed. The first witness on the stand was Ed Ray himself. This was a school bus driver. Gave a straightforward account of what happened during the kidnapping. He admitted he ate a piece of bread the kidnappers left, which he felt he shouldn't have done. And I don't even get why that's pertinent yeah. to anything. But no, it's not. there it is. That was what was reported in the New York Times. Then all of the kids testified one by one. Imagine this, 26 kids. Many tears ensued. One 10-year-old said she felt like air was disappearing. It started to get hard to breathe, she said. All I thought was the whole thing was going to cave in and we'd be squished. And, you know, that could be, like, actual lack of oxygen or full-on panic attacks, mm -hmm. right? Absolutely. Well, yeah, I mean, they would, have, they, they would have absolutely suffocated if they had left them there too much longer. Yes. You will suffocate. Yeah, yeah that was so, apparent. Yeah. And so. these yo-yos really, <laughs> their exquisite planning, um, really had no plan for getting them out. I mean, yeah. I guess they were just going to wing it at that point. <laughs> <laughs> Dig it. That's great. Uh, 
So the trial ended December the 15th in a half full court. The judge softly said that the children's testimony was pretty much enough. The level of terror they survived constituted bodily harm. This all but ensured the parole was out of the question. For all three kidnappers, right, for all three kidnappers, they get, they get the, without parole. If they didn't have luxury model attorneys over the years with constant legal maneuvering, they all became eligible for parole. So even though they were originally sentenced with no possibility of parole through legal maneuvering, remember they came from wealthy families who's kind of... Oh, okay, I was envisioning right. public defenders and I was suddenly They eventually, they, they overturned the bodily harm charges. So then they had a possibility of getting out. So Schoenfeld's younger brother, Richard Schoenfeld, was paroled in 2012. So he went in about 1976, 77. Wow. Long sentence. Yeah. James Schoenfeld was paroled in 2015, a little bit longer for the other brother. Fred is finally granted parole this year, 2022, but he's still waiting for the governor's blessing. So the parole board has recommended, recommended him for parole, but He's still waiting for the governor to sign off on it. So how old are these guys now? Because, I mean, this was, so I'm 44, and yeah. this was two years like before I was 70. born. So these guys got to be almost 80 years old by now. Yeah. Yeah, he's in my age. I think he's 70-something. So yeah. You're absolutely right. It seemed like Ed Fred would never get paroled, though. Uh, while he was incarcerated, it came out that he was running a used car dealership in California, and okay. a Christmas tree lot in the Bay Area. Wait a minute. While in All jail? All from the confines of his prison cell. I'm impressed. I, that is entrepreneurial genius. He might not be as dumb as I thought. <laughs> How does that work? California is so fucked up. Well, he was constantly caught doing this, of course, and with contraband pornography and cell phones. And you know what? He recently had bought a mansion on the coast. So I have a feeling his lawyer's visits were a lot more about mm. some yeah. of his business dealings. Oh, my God. So Ed Ray, the hero bus driver, died in 2012 at 91 years of age. Mm. So there's a statue and a plaque uh, dedicated to him in Cauchila. Yeah. It was a big hero to Cauchila. The children are all 50-plus now. Many still deal with PTSD and severe anxiety I issues. Bet. yeah. yeah. Being buried alive is a lot of people's like worst ever fears. Yeah. So I can't even just imagine. having your kids missing. Yeah, I, you know I know yeah. what that feels like. But you know, for a few hours is one thing. For thirty hours, yeah, I can't believe freaking. it. Yeah, just be freaking. Well, how did we feel when the bus driver abducted Alex? Yeah, we had a. He didn't abduct Alex. What happened was <laughs> there was a substitute. I'm reporting teacher. the wrong crime no, here. No, no, no. <laughs> there was a substitute teacher at Alex's elementary school who accidentally. He's a pickup. He was a pickup kid at the time. He was in kindergarten. But she put him on a bus. Because she wouldn't believe him when he said he was a pickup kid. She didn't believe him that he said he was a pickup kid. And because Alex is Alex, he was like, oh, all right, I'll get yeah, on the bus. Yeah. Even though I've never been you. on a bus before. Yeah, he's a polite so, kid. He wouldn't argue with yeah. an adult. And when they told him, here's where you get off, he was like, 
Yeah, all right. That makes sense. <laughs> what you happened know? to that teacher? Oh, my goodness. You know our school system. Nothing. 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 I had metal. a big argument with that principal, but... <laughs> you know what happened to the principal? Nothing. nothing. He still says hi to me in cheerleading competitions because yeah. his daughter cheers for another school. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. In wrapping this up, I told you it's going to short. There's a couple of, of really good movies out there about this whole thing. Taken our, they, they've taken our children, which was uh, in 1993 the movie was made, and vanished without a trace, 1993 as well. If you Google this, the Couchilla school bus kidnapping, you'll get a ton, a ton of hits. I bet. Lots of articles from, from major newspapers and minor newspapers. Mm-hmm. Even the president of the United States at this time, Gerald Ford, had a lot to say about this. Okay. And he basically gave this whole area a blank check for whatever they needed to get those children back. Mm-hmm. So, well, I hope you've enjoyed burying kids. Yeah, this is fun. Yeah, but you know what's interesting about it is, like, when you say vanished without a trace, I mean, they, I'm going to give you they were gone for a long time, and I wouldn't want to be that parent. But I've been watching The uh, Disappearance of Maddie McCann on Netflix that girl's been gone almost 23, 24 years and literally vanished without a trace. Like, that is. You know, so it's interesting that, you know, this 16-hour ordeal. Well, imagine 26 kids at once. Yeah. You know, that's know. Like, And the school bus, it, 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 actually, actually, they found the school bus before the children. Yeah. They did find no, it. But scary. it took a lot to find it. But also, like, Flight 93, mm-hmm. I mean, that vanished without a trace, right? And every occupant on that flight, mm-hmm. gone. And we don't know what happened to them. And that plane was never found, even, so it couldn't have crash-landed. Or, like, the Malaysia flight, that vanished without a trace. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like vanished without a trace means something different today than it did well, back then. Well, in those cases, they were l- underwater, probably, right? Well, yeah. Flight 93? So. Not which one is 93? I don't know which one that is. There were three flights in, in 9-11. Lonnie hates 9-11. Lonnie hates 9-11. Um, so two crashed into the towers, and then the third one theoretically crash-landed in Pennsylvania. Uh, but Dave loses uh, uh, as well as I do, but there was no evidence <laughs> of that plane. No. Like, sure? Yeah, they they never really found much, but they they do claim to have had the black box recording. They have they only claim, the black box, yeah. but not the rest of the plane or any remnants of plane disaster. No and it's supposedly in the ground or? no, and it supposedly crashed in the woods. Hmm. You can go to the crash site. I gotta look this up because I'm sure I saw footage of the crash site on the telly. Uh, so there was so there was there was. It was on yeah. fire. There was a fire was where it supposedly had crashed, and um, but there was no there was no evidence of a plane there. That's um, something that's been pointed out many times. Like if you look at all the footage, like if you look at most airplane crash scenes, there's plenty you can actually see from the remnants of a plane. Whereas in these, you can't. I, I nominate Craig as the... Uh, the other thing that's been brought up many times is the witnesses say that when they witnessed the whatever crashed and they didn't know what it was, but they said it looked kind of like a plane, but there was smoke coming from one of the wings. So this would not have been consistent with what was going on, supposedly based on the black box recording. That would have been we consistent do with something else. Yeah. 
Because I think um, there's a debate here that we could all. Well, have. I yes. I tend I agree. to be on David's side here, but I agree, and I'm on David's side too. But I, I brought know it up. Building just, seven, goddammit. I just brought it up because <laughs> I think that vanish without a trace means something different today than it meant back then. Yeah, I think so. In, yeah. In this story, vanish without a trace meant they couldn't find those kids for less than a day. Thirty hours. Yeah. Right. Right. So a little bit more than a day. But like Maddie McCann, she's been gone twenty three years. No trace of what happened to her. That plane, no trace of, and not just that plane. The Malaysia flight, gone, vanished without a trace. They don't know what happened to that. Like, there, it's just interesting to me. This whole vanished without a trace concept, I guess. Yeah, me too. Mm-hmm. Look at the Bermuda Triangle. Yeah, yeah stuff yeah. that goes through the Bermuda um, Triangle vanishes yeah. without a trace. Yeah, and it's gone forever. You know, as opposed to a couple days. Yeah. I have that problem with socks all the time. And socks. My Apple Watch and my mouth guard. <laughs> Car keys. <laughs> anyway, so does that wrap up your story? Was yes, there anything so. else? So we're all wrapped up. That was a short episode. There shorty, you shorty. Not yeah. bad. And anyway, Craig, what were you thinking about for next time? I was thinking two things. A long time ago, Gracia suggested the Hedgehog Pond murders, which I said I would do. But I was also thinking I might do the Brie X situation. Briax was this gold mining firm based out of Calgary that had found this enormous load of, of gold, I think, in the Philippines. Turned out to be bullshit. They'd faked their assay results and there was no gold there. And some people died under questionable circumstances. It's an interesting story. But I think I'll probably go Hedgehog first, Hedgehog Pond Murders, and then I'll do Briax in the future. So Craig is next? Well, we don't know, Dave. Another one I was thinking of, which would be more of a civil disobedience than a true um, actual crime, um, was the story of Shayne Sugihara. Um, And that is a person who was um, actually an ancestor of a Japanese samurai. During And during the Second World War, he found out what was going on with the Holocaust. So even though he knew the emperor would never have approved of it, he started sneaking Jews away oh, from gosh. various areas. A Japanese Schindler. Yeah. 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 So um, th- in fact, there's even, I believe, in Israel, there is still a holiday named after him. Oh, that's so, really interesting. Yeah. yeah, that might be nice. So. And then the other one I was thinking of, also because it's new on Hulu, which is I'm excited to watch it, but it's about the um, the text murder, right? The girl who was talking to her boyfriend Conrad. Oh yeah, you that's should a good suicide. story. It's a I think it's so interesting, and I think from a legal perspective, it's also really it interesting. Is really what interesting happened. question. Because of course the jury found her guilty, and then the judge basically let her off. So like. I, every part of that case is wildly interesting, so I may want to cover that too. So lots of good stuff coming up in the next few yeah. episodes. That one's going to be hard to cover in 33 minutes. Yeah, that one's. Is that what mine took? Yeah, 33 minutes. Wow, I think I set a record. I think you did. Wow, you're fast. That's what she said. Steve isn't here talking for hours. That's right. Yeah, that guy monopolizes. He's not going on and on. And Gracia didn't like spend a lot of time on how to make the drink or anything like that. You know. Oh yeah, we missed that part. Yeah, yeah. exactly. We just talked. Yeah. Good enough for me. But we had dog barking, mother playing her TV in the back. Yeah, yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> bueno. All right. So peace out. Peace out, friends. See you next time. Bye. 
Thank you for listening to us on this episode of Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Be sure to subscribe in your favorite app so you don't miss an episode. You can also send us an email to cocktailsmocktailsandcrime at gmail.com. Or follow us on Facebook or Instagram at Cocktails, Mocktails, and Crime. Or Twitter at CMCrime1. See you all next week.